Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they, them. And this morning, we're talking to Matthew Gravelin, a game maker working on content for both the DMs Guild as well as Itch. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Matthew. Would you mind introducing yourself further for our listeners? Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, my name is Matthew Gravelin. Uh, I call myself a hobby game designer. Uh, I've been writing role-playing, storytelling, and narrative games for a couple years now. Uh, Before that, I had a brief stint trying to design board games. Uh, I've designed some indie video games in the past. Um, It's been a journey, but I can tell you that doing this RPG writing in this cool new indie space that's come up on the internet is probably my favorite creation I've ever done. Wonderful. Uh, So... We like to start off by asking you how you made the transition from uh, game player to game maker. Uh, we get some really interesting answers out of that question, and I really <laughs> love hearing it. I think we've had we had two people, I'm pretty sure, say, "Oh, I made I started out by writing choose your own adventure novels." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, okay, sure." Um, which I hadn't thought about, but is a single-player uh, role-playing game, which is interesting. So what is what for you was the thing that pushed you from, or what were your first forays into making a game as opposed to just being a player or consumer of games? Yeah, um, so I've been playing, um, in the role-playing game space, I've been playing games on and off since my early teens, um, you know, D&D, AD&D, uh, Mech Warrior, some other you know smaller ones that I didn't know like they were just brought to me and I sat down and played them because that's I just consumed them. Um, and then it transitioned into board games for a really long time. Um, we had the family games, we played Monopoly, we played Risk, we played um, you know Yahtzee, those classics, and then eventually that started to evolve into you know your Catan and your Carcassonne, and then that evolved into your Pandemic and your Ticket to Ride. And eventually, I was playing these really weird, niche, complicated board games. And I thought, I could make these. That would be really interesting to make these. And I spent a couple years making board games. And the short version of this story is that I'm really not good at making board games. Um, people would tell me, yes, this is you have created a game. There, there are rules here that they work, but we're not really having fun. We're not as engaged with it. And... I kind of got disheartened from that. I took a break and then I, I've been writing my whole life basically. And I said, Oh, what if I, what if I just write a game instead of make a game? You know, what, what that little distinction in my brain would happen. And then I started writing these like weird uh, narrative focused experiences. And that's where you get things like mall kids. And um, I've been loving making uh, uh, hacks of alone among the stars and just Legacy of Steel is another great one where it's just like, you just sit down and, and write about a mech, but like, and, and we're not going to have the conversation of what is a game here. That's, uh, that's a very big topic that I don't think has a ton of like value at the end. I think the value is in having that conversation, but it's Indeed. probably, probably a lot longer than we have time here. But the way I, I kind of look at it. I am of the opinion, and this is nice and short, thankfully. Uh, I come from an art background, kind of. And so my answer to that is that a game is a thing that someone names a game. If you name it a game, it's a game. It might not be a very good game. 
It might be an excellent <laughs> game, but if it is called a game, it is a game. And that is the only distinction I care about. Everything else is just not arguing over quality. Yeah. So one of the ways I've kind of started thinking about, you know, related to the quote, what is a game conversation is if I give you a set of instructions and that set of instructions leads you to having kind of a directed or intentional experience, then that's really what I'm trying to do. So we're not going to have a conversation about solo versus multiplayer. We're not going to have a conversation about competitive versus cooperative, but rather I'm going to give you this small pamphlet, this little book, this zine, this PDF, this whatever, and it's going to direct you to have an experience that I would like you to have. And hopefully you will enjoy having um, by following this. And that's really what a lot of my games are. I have a game about beachcombing. Anybody can go beachcomb, right? Like you don't need rules for that, but my beachcombing game is about looking at these things and thinking about uh, your life, like using these rocks and shells and glass as a representation of what's going on in your life. What do you need? What are you struggling with? And um, there was a really great episode of Game Closet recently um, where uh, Sydney was on and talked about the, uh, the one layer of metaphor and it's just like all you need to do is say this sea glass represents your issues with your father and suddenly everybody's connected but nobody wants to actually talk about their issues with their father (laughs) but talking about sea glass is easy and i made the it's like a postcard size game i leave that thing on beaches where i go like i go to like nature centers and state parks and just leave this game all over and just like that's that's kind of like what I'm into now is is making people feel things, I guess. That is, is what so I'm into. wild to to be leaving your game someplace like that. Yeah, it's like my uh kind of written storytelling graffiti of sorts is just leaving these games around and hoping somebody I, has an experience. I did play a graffiti RPG uh a little while ago for solo. Um someone made one as part of the they made it for the emotional mecha game jam but they didn't get it in in time mm-hmm. um and so you write a kind of farewell poem on on a wall of a building that belongs to a corporation but is in a public space uh, and you write this poem um that is is meant to represent uh having written your final words as a pilot in the cockpit of this uh undying machine that you pilot like once and then die in. And then so, and then the cockpit is filled with the messages from all the other pilots. And so you take a photo when you're done and you upload it to this hashtag. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That is, it, that is extremely, extremely my, my jam. That sounds great. I think it is, it's called eternal frame. So hashtag eternal frame should find nice. you. I think only a few people have played it, but it would be great to have like thousands of people play it so that we can get the real cockpit collage going. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I'm here for games that are also art installations and also (laughs) invite you to make graffiti. (laughs) Um, So then uh, what, what were the first games you published? I suppose Mm -hmm. would be my thing. Cause uh, lots of often, but not always. Lots of people's early games don't end up going anywhere. And you talked about your board games and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, what were the first things that you actually put out there for others to 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 have, to hold, to buy? Things yeah, like that? Um, yeah. No, I definitely have uh, a collection of of games. Um, 
that never saw the light of day, really. Um, I wrote a whole PBTA game um, that at a high level was about Pirates of the Caribbean style swagger pirates, occult magic, and kind of like a reimagining of the fantasy races tropes. Um, and again, that probably sounds really great on paper, but again, my implementation of it was just really lackluster. And I don't know if y'all have tried writing an entire PBTA game, but that can get wildly out of hand. Um, so yeah, that's how I, you think yeah. it's going to be super quick and then you're like, Oh, hang on. Right, I'm, also I'm, writing, gonna, I'm gonna write all of the stuff that supports this as well. Right. Yeah, I'm on my 16th page about crew mechanics and and boat stats, and I'm like, oh no, what has happened? I've gone to a dark place here. Um, so yeah, I think um, I'm trying to think of anything. Like, there's probably some small games that I put out beforehand, but I probably like in terms of quote unquote published. I think Mall Kids is probably like my first thing. Like, if you know about me. Out just kind of organically, you probably know me from Mall Kids, um, which started out as a one-page exercise, just like a reskinning of Grant Howitt's Honey Heist. It's uh, you know the the two um, uh, polar opposite um, stats that you roll between and you shift back and forth. Um, and I just wrote this one page, and I said that's good. I, I wrote I wrote this one-page thing skinned in this kind of '90s mall, and that's what I wanted. And then. Last year in February, they did the inaugural zine quest on Kickstarter. And I don't, I, I remember talking with my friend Caitlin, who did the art for Mall Kids. And I don't know how it happened. It just spun out of control. And suddenly I had a 24 page zine. I had like five contributing authors writing scenarios. Caitlin had done a bonkers amount of art. Like, and I was just like, I'm doing a Kickstarter. I went from like one page nothing to Kickstarter in about a week. And I just put it out and it was just like, oh, that felt good. Uh, I don't need to write 300 pages. Like, and Mall Kids probably could be slimmed down to like eight pages. Like there's probably like six to eight pages of necessary content in there. And then the rest is like setting and tone and stuff like that. But then I started thinking I can make one page games that are meaty. I can make these eight page games that lead you through an entire story and make you feel things. Again, the Alone Among the Stars kind of framework is I've mine are about like four page. I like to go for, I like to go format heavy, but you could get that down to two pages. You could print that front and back on a sheet of paper and have it a full game, full experience. And once I realized that I could do this smaller amount of work and have this really fun, emotional payoff and just do that every week, like over and over and over again, like I was hooked. I'm now, I love making these, small games. Um, I tend to make solo games. I definitely focus on narrative games over mechanical games. Um, and yeah, it's just, it just sucked me in. I can't, I can't stop writing these little games now to save my life. It is really amazing. The kind of, um, boom we have seen in recent years in particular. And obviously I don't really, I, I, I often say to people, um, you, you, Obviously, there are exceptions to everything that you say with like a, that as a definitive statement. I shouldn't have to point out that everything has exceptions. But in recent years, we've seen a really big growth of games that are both small and impactful uh, in a way that challenges this idea that a role-playing game needs to be a 300 page document 
that you're going to pay $40 for. And like, I would rather pay $15 for like a six page thing and know that everything in it is going to be uh, important, which is to say there is nothing in there that in, uh, in there's normally nothing in a six page RPG that is <laughs> superfluous. Like yeah. people are, the design space is using that space like effectively and efficiently um, in order to make sure that you are putting in everything you need. And we are seeing people that are re- releasing games like every week or every month or every season. Like it's just so, so many games are coming out and, uh, and it is just uh, wonderful. And it is, it is a joy to be a part of that kind of thing. And it was really wonderful the way that you articulated that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there are times that I feel like I'm kind of late to the party in a way because there are already so many really talented people and a lot of content already put out there. And then sometimes I feel like I'm on, sometimes I'm on the cutting edge of it, like because there are so many games coming out, like we can't be at the end of whatever this is, like whatever, call it a movement, call it a boom, call it a fad if you want, call it whatever. But like we, I don't even think we're at the apex yet. I think we're still like, you know, itch started as video games and browser-based games. So like, if you look at the kind of grand history of itch, board games and tabletop games are still very new here. And I think there's still a lot of space for it to grow. So again, sometimes I, I kind of feel like, oh, I'm just kind of riding the coattails of some of these other game creators that I love. And then also, I just think like, there's so much more to do here that whatever I create and put into this ecosystem now will help shape that. And that at a meta level is kind of really cool to think about being part of this like new wave of, of quote, like again, what, what is a game? What is a role-playing game? What can these things be um, is, is really cool. And, you know, Legacy of Steel is, is kind of a new one for me. It was, um, it was my first mech-based game. But what's interesting is if you, like, there's no mechs in it. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I don't put mechs in the game. You put mechs in the game. Um, so I don't know a lot about mechs. I don't watch a lot of mech shows or consume mech content. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people that fits into, like, my main touchstone for mechs right now is Pacific Rim, which is just, like, calling it the tip of the iceberg is, is still pretty generous. Like there's so much um, context and content there spanning decades that I just, I'm on. There are so many (laughs) definitively different sub genres Mm -hmm. of mech stuff. And some of them don't even have names. Like I don't think any of the distinct Western um, mech sub genres have specific names whereas the japanese stuff like all has specific names like real robot and uh super robot and like giant robot and all of that sort of stuff and some of those are not the actual dif- the, the specific names like real robot is um but then like there's no specific name for the genre of mech thing that pacific rim is because it mm-hmm. is separate to everything that it's influenced by. Like, it is not Evangelion, and it is not uh, Godzilla, which is also what it is influenced by. Um, It is this mechas and kaiju thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Um, You mentioned uh, 
zine quest earlier, and I just wanted mm-hmm. to quickly go back and ask for our listeners, mm-hmm. um, what is zine quest? Yeah. So zine quest um, was a kind of a promotional thing that Kickstarter put on last year. I think we found out about it in January ish and it runs for the month of February. Um, and what you are encouraged to do as a creator is create a roughly two week campaign to fund a role-playing game based zine. So this can be a, a whole game like I did with mall kids. It can be setting and kind of supplemental content for other games. Like you could make a, a game that's like subclasses and races for D and um, You could um, write uh, a zine that's more of kind of an analysis. You could write like essays and think pieces on the scope of role-playing games. Um, or you could release art. You could be like make just an art zine. That's ba- as long as it's somehow kind of tangentially related to role-playing games. And then they have some other, uh, kind of mechanical requirements about the size of the zine and how it is constructed. They they allow for more kind of modern and um, mass scale printing, but they wanted to try and keep the the essence of what a zine is. A zine is supposed to be basic. It's not supposed to be glossy. It's not supposed to be full color. It's not supposed to be, uh, <clears throat> you know, perfectly laid out. It can be a little off. It can be stapled slightly off center. Like that's good. That's what we're looking for. Um, and um, I know that there's some numbers floating around out there. Some people have done some research into how many projects were put out there. Um, I want to say it's somewhere in like the 100 to 200 range. There was there was quite a few. I think they said like 95% of them funded. Um, because it was more than some by a bunch. It was, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and people had a, a great time with it because making these zines, you know, especially if you're doing small batches by hand with low content and low art costs, you could put these out for a couple hundred bucks, no problem. Um, and then you could go all the way up. Like I had a professional artist, so I had to pay her to do art. I had um, other writers come in and write content. I paid them. So my costs were a little bit higher. Um, and <clears throat> anyway, that's ZineQuest. So they're doing it again this year. Um, last year, they didn't say they were doing it like a yearly thing. We just thought it was a one-off. But they're bringing it back, which I'm so thrilled they're bringing it back. Um, I'm going to be doing a full expansion zine for Mall Kids. Um, Excuse me. It's going to have more options for characters, more options for settings and malls. And it's going to have several modules that augment play. It adds completely new rules to the game. Um, Again, I have um, Caitlin returning to do the art. And I have several um, authors that I'm working with to create their own modules and content for it. Um, But... One of the things, like one of the unintended backlashes is some really amazing zines were made last year that looked great, that felt great, that had great games in them. And I'm seeing people this year saying, oh, I really want to get into this stuff, this this role-playing game writing, but I can't make a zine quest zine. And I said, oh no, like this was supposed to be accessible and approachable. And it was supposed to just be these cruddy little books and like... I had amazing art. I'm okay at layout. So like my book looks really good and professional, but like I have some books on my shelf that look like they were literally handwritten and photocopied. And I love that. I love that I they look like a zine. based that specifically <clears throat> for an aesthetic of one of the zines that I made. I tried to make it look like it was this thing made in like the sixties uh, by some researcher at some university that doesn't exist. And it's still mm-hmm. not quite right. I still haven't got it to the point that I like. But like yeah. chasing that aesthetic of 
handmade while also understanding that my handwriting is so bad that I didn't want to <laughs> actually do handmade. So I tried to make it look yeah. like a typewriter. So yeah, <clears throat> I'm, I'm true. I'm really trying to encourage people to, you know, I think ZineQuest is a great opportunity for new people to come into the tabletop space, the role-playing game space. Um, you know, do bare bones, like do scribble art. Like don't, you don't need to pay an artist if you, if you can't justify that. Just scribble some stuff in there. That's okay. Like we just want to see your game ideas. And there's yeah. going to be so many people backing zines, like the hashtag on Twitter is, is going well, hashtag ZineQuest. Um, Kickstarter is going to be featuring games. They're going to be adding games to the Projects We Love page. There's a whole Zine Quest page that you can go to where they're going to curate their favorite zines into. They'll go. They'll post them on Twitter. There's going to be an email newsletter that goes out, at least one. So, like, this is actually the best time. Like, it's so easy to get a Zine Quest project funded just based on all of these factors. So, I'm, I'm. Whenever I find people who are like, oh, maybe I, I don't know if I can do this. I'm like, do it. Trust me. Yeah. And the fantastic thing, um, one of the fantastic things that I love about zines, um, because a partner of mine has a background in them, and so I have learned to make them as well, is that, uh, and this is a thing that I often talk about on the show in all of the show's various formats, uh, is that it gives you access to a whole new set of artistic skills um, that you can then leverage for other projects and it also brings you into a whole new audience. There are people that will be buying ZineQuest stuff that do not play role-playing games and do not read them because of the fact that they're zines. Like, collecting zines is a thing. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I go to zine fairs, and my quote-unquote game, um, The Binding and Drawing of Power, has sold like one copy online and I sold out of it at the first zine fair I ever went to. And you will be able to find zine fairs all over the world, definitely in Western countries, but definitely (laughs) in non-Western countries too. Um, And they are a great place to sell stuff because, and sell your zines obviously, and also see other stuff and see other artists and get you connected with people that are in your physical locality. Um, and yeah, then zines are just, it's just an amazing skill to have. And like every game that I make, I try to make it so that it can be, if it's small enough, I try to format it so that it can be printed as a zine. If I made a project that was like a hundred pages, I'm not going to bother to format that as a zine. I could, but I'm, that's a lot to staple. Yeah. No, I, I think I tweeted that exact same sentiment a couple of days ago. Like, fun fact, pretty much every single one of my games on itch is formatted for A5. Like they could, any one of these things could at some point be turned into a zine because that's just how like easy and approachable they are. You know, am I going to make a four page zine? Am I going to make a zine out of Legacy of Steel? Probably not, but I could. Like it's, it's formatted for it. I could just flip that switch anytime. Plus I I really like that format. Um, I think they show up really well on PDF readers. Um, I think they, they print okay. Um, I, I think it's just like a good size to like, also if I have like that eight and a half by 11 page and I start like writing, I, I, I just fill it. I just write more than I need to write or there's a mm-hmm. lot of white space. So Chuck like, a poem in there. Yeah. Because I exactly. write poetry. So I often fill dead space with poetry. Exactly. 
Um, yeah, no, that's you know, fill it with spot art, fill it with a poem, put some italics text in there, put, you know, yeah. like format, man. Like there's, there's great formatting options. Design a, design a logo for your game because there's a big space yeah. that needs to be filled. <laughs> um, which I also did <laughs> for, uh, God, what's that game called? Last Nights on Earth. Yeah, I did that. I designed a logo. Um, yeah, so ZineQuest is uh, an amazing thing that is happening. Um, what are some of the other things coming up this year uh, for you that you're excited about in relation to your game stuff? Um, yeah, so I... Um like I said, I'm doing the mall kids expansion zine. That's pretty much where I've been focusing a lot of my time lately. Um, I'm, I'm also doing, so um, there's a spindle, uh, there's spindle wheel, which is a game by Sasha Renault um, that has these kind of tarot inspired cards and micro games attached to it. And there was this conversation about creating cards and how that's a cool little micro writing exercise. Cause they're only about like 20 ish words a piece. Um, so there's a hashtag on Twitter called spindle year where people are making cards every day, every week, whenever they can, I'm trying to make a card every day. Um, or at least I'm trying to make 366 cards. I like, I didn't do one yesterday. We talked about briefly. I came back from a concert late and was really excited to find my uh, W2 in my mailbox. So I did my taxes at 1130 at night last night, but, um, I'm trying to do 366 cards and just that repetitive, um, motion, that repetitive writing exercise has been really phenomenal for my writing lately. And then at the end of the year, I'm going to have 366 spindle wheel inspired cards that I can make decks out of that I can play games with that'll be like my and I'm, I'm writing them on paper too. I printed out these card templates. So I have this deck box of physical cards that I'm making and just seeing those physical artifacts manifest is so inspiring to me to say like, oh, I can do this. I can be a writer. I can make this content. So even if you don't do 366 or every day or every week, like give yourself these little micro projects. This is like a really cool, um, you know, again, these like one, like I thought one page game, right. was like the, the, that was cool to do one page game, do one card, just write a card. Like it's so cool just to produce something um, and see that. So I'm working on some spin wheel stuff. Um, I'm working on a spindle wheel micro game. That's about mechs. I'm working on a spindle wheel game micro game. That's about metal detecting and treasure hunting. Um, I really, in 2020, I want to make a belonging outside belonging game. Um, and I have a couple themes that I'm going to try and like flesh out a little bit to see if they make sense to me and work. Um, and then I actually, I can't, uh, I don't want to be that guy who's like vague tweeting or whatever, but like, I just this morning woke up and got an offer to work on a project that I am super, super excited to work on. Um, it'll probably be announced before this episode airs, but I don't want to like risk that just because I'm not quite sure. Um, but you can follow me on Twitter. I, as soon as I'm allowed to talk about it, I will be tweeting furiously about this cool project that I get to be a part of. That's so cool. It sounds like you've got like a lot of really good goals laid out. Um, goals are... In it, seeing as it has just been the new year, I had this conversation recently with someone where I'm like, resolutions are bad and goals <laughs> are super good. And I don't really yes. know what the technical definition is that separates those two things, but a resolution feels harder to do and often mm-hmm. is about not doing something rather than yeah. actually doing something. Uh, and a goal 
is very grounded in um, sort of a target. It's a thing to hit. And also setting goals that are almost overachievable is super important. So uh, for me, I often, like last year, and I've talked about this before, last year I set myself the goal of I will publish more than one game. And again, going back to like the weird feeling (laughs) distinction between resolution and goal is that publishing more than one game and publishing two games are mathematically the same, but are emotionally miles apart. Publishing more than one game, super easy. Publishing two games, I'm going to publish two games? How am I going to publish two (laughs) games? Two whole distinct different games, whereas publishing more than one game is, well, I got to publish one game and then I can just sort of do whatever for the second (laughs) thing and I'll call it a game. And I ended up publishing like four games last year. And then Smash this year, and then this year my what are my goals cuz I have a bunch of other goals this year. Like my game oriented goal is publish one game. Had intended for that to be my big huge mech game, instead made a game in 24 hours and published it on like January 13th. So yeah. now one of my goals for the year is finished. Um nice. And so achievable goals and setting goals, super important. And that thing of, that's the wonderful thing about small games, which is kind of what we've been talking about this whole episode, is that with a small game, you get a good game out of it. You get this um, wonderful sense of accomplishment and you get to see a thing finished. Whereas when you're writing those huge 300 page games, you're not likely to see that for like, years or five maybe a decade and god i hope it doesn't take you a decade just because only because like the design landscape's going to be drastically different and your game's going to be designed for like 10 years ago yeah i mean games are you kind of exponential you hit the shifting target of games far um much closer when you Mm -hmm. are making smaller games like what's the design space we're all playing in at the moment like, oh, yeah. four, like a hundred mech games came out because everyone <laughs> was thinking about mechs at the one time. And because they're yeah. all tiny games, they all come out. And you also hit the shifting target of, of your own interest. Mm. Like I know in the, like, the year that I was working on this PBTA game, there was a period where I was like really jazzed about it. And then I stopped caring. Like if I never see Johnny Depp swagger across a pirate ship again in my entire life, I'll be fine. And... I, these smaller games, like, you know, yeah, Legacy of Steel was all about this mech and its its history. And I don't know, maybe there was like two weeks. I mean, it's hard to say like when you're quote unquote working on a game, because you're not working on a game for two weeks. Like there's an idea and then some days off and then some notes and then some days off. And then I write the first draft and then there's some days off. So like, but Legacy of Steel between like the first idea I put down on paper to when I put it out on itch, maybe like two weeks and two weeks is a, is a reasonable amount of time to not uh, lose my interest in writing this game about a mech's history. So I can be kind of like all in 100% committed to the theme of this game the whole way through, whereas I have worked on larger projects. Um, I did a lot of writing for um, Humblewood, and there were definitely times... Um, where I'd be like, oh, I got to write about this little farming town. And I just so super don't care about a farming town right now. Luckily, Humblewood was 
it, it kind of, there's, I guess it's like this middle ground of size where it's like big, but not big enough. Humblewood was big enough where there was always something else I could go spend my time working on that I was interested in. Um, but definitely like my pirate game was just like, if I don't care about pirates right now, then I'm going to be trying to make myself work on a game that I essentially don't care about in that moment. Um, and that's going to come through. You're, you're not going to feel good about it. The work you're producing is going to show that. Um, so I'm sure there are people that can do it. I'm sure there are people who probably think like, I'm going to be jazzed about Johnny Depp pirates for four years in a row. Like that's my jam and great. Then you should make a Johnny Depp pirate game. Um, take mine, (laughs) but, but like, so yeah, I ebb and flow. Um, so that's why, um, working within structures like honey heist or alone among the stars or belonging outside belonging. These are kind of set defined structures that you can see the beginning, middle and end of before you even start. And then, you know, belonging outside belongings cool and interesting because like you can tack on also. Um, uh, so there's a a game called sleep away. Um, uh, that was made by, um, I believe it's Jay, uh, drag sky. And it's, it's, I, I can see the basic belonging outside belonging. And then there's like the stuff that Jay added that is just, you know, kind of outs, <laughs> outside belonging, outside belonging that perfectly complements their interpretation. they like the theme they were going for, but isn't strictly inside the parameters of what you need to have. And I'd rather be in that scenario. I'd rather be in this scenario where I make a game and if I feel it, I'll make more versus PBTA has playbooks. PBTA has, you know, fronts, clocks, whatever, depending on like which PBTA you're kind of looking at. PBTA is not a thing, but people kind of say it's a PBTA game. But so there's a lot you have to do. Um, and I know, feel free to come at me because I know I'm wrong, but like you can make small games. I've seen like six page PBTA games, but I was going for like Dungeon World. Dungeon World was my touchstone, um, touchstone for um, PBTA game. So I was trying to make a Dungeon World sized scoped PBTA game. And that's a little long for me to be working on a single project. Yeah, no, I totally feel that. So I have ADHD, which I have talked about previously on the show. And I try to talk about it more on my Twitter, uh, because I've realized that it's a thing that I don't really talk about that often because yeah, reasons, but with, um, ADHD, part of learning to be productive in a way that I'm comfortable with and that doesn't require contorting myself into an entirely different person, um, which is kind of the lesson for people with ADHD. Like the, the entirety of um, treatment and clinical stuff geared towards ADHD is all about, or at least when I was going through it, was all about forming you into a person that fits into uh, the rest of the world's definition of a person. And so, fuck that noise, because that sucks. <laughs> um, and for me, a per- part of learning to be productive in a way that makes sense for me is task switching. And so I need to be working on so many different games at once because otherwise I will get nothing done. If I have one game and I just have to work on that one game, I will get way less done than if I'm working on four games because when I lose 
all interest in one, I can just switch to the one that I am interested in and work on that. And then I will switch back or I can switch to a different task within a game. Like when I was working on something recently and there was um, a moment where I really wanted to write this thing for this character class, character role, couldn't do it even though it was all I wanted to do, I just couldn't find the way to do it. And then was like, all right, then I'm going to work on the map thing that the game needs. Got all set up to do the map because I was feeling the urge to do it. Sat down to start doing it. Did like five seconds of it. Went, mm, eh. And then switched back to the thing and wrote for like two hours on the, on the character role. Because I had switched off the task it had given me enough space to mm-hmm. breathe essentially. And then I could switch back to it. But sometimes you don't come back to shit for months. Um, yeah. And yeah, I get nothing. I feel, done. I feel that in a very big, deep personal way. That's, yeah. that is exactly how uh, I work. Yeah. Task, task switching feels like giving up. It feels like being scattered and unorganized, but you know, like you said, fuck that noise. This like, that's how, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a brain scientist. I don't know how things work, but like that feels like normal, regular, average, common for the brain to get exhausted with a single task, especially if you're forcing yourself to do it. And especially if it's in a creative space, like your brain's telling you it doesn't have the juice for that right now. So give your brain something else for a quick second. Sometimes all it needs is like a five minute break and then it'll be like, okay, let's work on that class together. So that's not now. Now I've got enough. You've given me space. I love it. Uh, it is. It has been a pleasure talking to you. There is so much more we could uh, discuss. Um, one of the things that we sort of pre-planned to talk about and then didn't touch on at all was the distinction between yeah. writing for DMs Guild and writing for Itch. So we'll definitely have to have you back on at some point to have a further discussion about that. Yeah, I'd uh, love to. Uh, because I think that could be a fun artistic dis- discussion to have. Um, for people that want to find more from you, where can they do that? Yeah, um, so I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, my handle there and most of the internet is Mr. Matthew, Mr. Matthew. Um, and I am publishing most of my kind of small games on Itch. And as you mentioned, I do have some DMs Guild stuff uh, that you can find there. Um, their links are even more complicated than Itch links, so I'm sure we'll, we'll post some URLs that you can get at that. Um, so if you're in a, a D&D mood, um, I, got, I got stuff for you. Um, and then, uh, depending on when this goes out, yeah, there's a Kickstarter that'll be starting on February 5th for the expansion for Mall Kids. Um, I'm doing a zine and a digital copy. I'm doing a reprint of the original zine in case you missed it and want to get the, the collection, doing a discount for that. I think uh, this, goes, this interview should go live just after ZineQuest starts. It goes live on the 3rd of February. Okay, so if this is out, if you're listening to this on the 3rd, then my Kickstarter's not live yet, but check me on Twitter. There will almost certainly be a preview link at that stage, um, and mine will go live on the 5th. Um, there are, are not going to be any early bird stuff, so like, don't like freak out about it, but I would love it if you could come help me have a great first 48 hours. Um, you know, uh, be, be, uh, I just, I, I want validation and recognition. I need Kickstarter yeah. to see me, please let, help me do this. Um, but yeah, that'll be the next big thing coming up. And then, um, yeah, I do try and put out little game experiences 
as regularly as possible, weekly or monthly. So there's always, almost always something new and interesting to check out on my itch. Yeah, fantastic. And so on the topic of Zine Quest, um, we haven't super finalized what our coverage of Zine Quest is going to be. I know that for Insert Quest here, we're going to try to share as many Zine Quest links as come across our table that, well, come across our table, come across the dashboard that are also like things that we want to promote, um, mm-hmm. which basically just means as long as you're not making like fascist, super corporate content, you'll be fine, which I don't <laughs> know why you'd be doing that as a zine, but whatever. Um, that's, a weird, that's a weird space to think It's about. a weird space <laughs> to be working in. Um, yeah. So we're going to be trying to push that. And we also might be doing some micro uh, podcast content about uh, zine quest I'm also going to be exhibiting at a zine fair during zine quest. So it's, there's a balance of I'm going to be away from my computer. So how am I going to do that? Um, But yes, we're going to be attempting to cover zine quest as much as we can. So if you want to see a whole wide variety of zine quest content, you will hopefully be able to find that by checking out insert quest here. Um, And of course, uh, please support me on Patreon. Um, we just did a relaunch of the entire Patreon where now rather than focusing on insert quest here and now focuses more broadly on supporting me as an artist. And we also changed it to a one for all model where if you support us at any monetary value above $1 USD uh, or $1 USD or above uh, you get everything that is offered on the Patreon, everything that we do because for someone that has a lower disposable income, $1 can mean a lot more. And for people that have shitloads of disposable income, a dollar is nothing. So we changed it to everyone gets the same thing. Uh, and then those of you with more disposable income can choose to give more if you so wish. In the true style of being a patron of old. Uh but uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show, Matthew. It was a pleasure. I can't wait to find an excuse to talk to you again. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. Um, and for now, uh, farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs> <laughs>